0: Hello, and welcome back to the behind the music business podcast with me, Danny champion. This is my little independent music industry podcast, where I chat to a bunch of people in and around the UK music business and actually beyond about their time in the industry, about how they got to where they are, about what motivates them about their job role, about how they go about doing things and any tips, tricks, advice that they would have for those who are interested in getting into the business. This week's episode is with Hannah Cartwright. Hannah is an artist, she's a composer, and until recently she has worked in the industry as part of production music houses in and around the sales, marketing, music supervision, sync departments. At the time of this recording, she has just left a role in Extreme Music, which is the production music company part of Sony ATV, to spend a lot more time on the composition and artistic side of things. We spoke about a lot of stuff in this. She welcomed me into her home studio, just outside of Bath. That is also a castle, which was incredible. Uh, And we talked about being creative and we talked about the creative process and we talked about all of her various creative projects on the go. And writing music for media and how best to do it and what's hard about it and what's fun about it and everything in between. And it was a lot of fun to sit down with someone who I'd only met once or twice in the industry Um, to find out about how things work, and I would love to get her back on, and also her writing partner uh, within Snow Ghosts to talk a bit more detail about this side of things, Uh, so watch this space on that one. So sit back and enjoy my conversation with Hannah Cartwright. place where I wanted to start was kind of the start your life in music and your why you're in music why do you (laughs) why are you a singer why are you a songwriter why have you worked in the music industry since well for the past 11 years
1: yeah probably 12 actually but um Weirdly enough, like, I grew up in the Middle East um, right. and went to a really weird school that didn't do music. <laughs> so Like most of the schools now. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I'm not really sure how I ended up doing so much, if you know what I mean. But um, I've always sung and always been surrounded by a lot of music in my family. Um, and then went I to, used to play like, mm. in bands in the Middle East and nothing better to do. Was
0: it, did you always want to be a performer? No, not necessarily.
1: I think, for me, the beginning of it is very much just a kind of cathartic um, release, really, of all that teenage angst and all the emotion and, you know, it's just one way, like, I'm quite a happy person, but I think all my music is really quite dark and if I manage to get it all out in that way, then it kind of keeps you sane, if you know Uh what I mean. Um, But then, so I went uh, to university in Australia and uh, auditioned for a music degree um, or music course uh, which I got on and uh, then came here about 12 years ago to, or to London and uh, realised the only reason anyone goes to music you need to do like a comp- composition and performance is so that you've got like 50 drummers in your phone or like seven guitarists and like I moved to London and went oh fuck I don't know anyone <laughs> yes yeah, you that know what happens. I mean. So I had to that start right at the bottom, bit, open yeah, mic yeah. nights and stuff like that, um, and uh, yeah, eventually it kind of fell into sync, and um, started working at the Wolf Music, mm-hmm. um, and still um, still writing and composing and stuff, but I suppose doing a bit more of the marketing side
0: of things. Was that just because it was something that was that you found? It, in a classified ad somewhere, and you thought. Music
1: Jobs UK, I think. Good old Music Jobs <laughs> and UK. And I was just like, I need something to do with music, but I also need to pay the bills mm-hmm. because, you know, unfortunately, as we all know, not many people can make a huge amount of money singing for their supper all the time. <laughs> but I still wanted to be involved in time. music. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so, yeah, I started there and then ended up, I've pretty much been in sync. Uh, for the past 12 years, moved mm-hmm. to extreme music for a bit um, and wrote a lot for, of library music and production music, mm-hmm. um, which is a nice little ticky-over earner, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Mostly under pseudonyms, though, I have to say. Okay, well, yeah, I wanted, to, <laughs>
0: I wanted to dive a little bit deeper in, into that world. Yeah. Um, what sort of stuff, you mentioned happy person, and, <laughs> but... Dark music. What sort of stuff? What do you listen to as a fan?
1: Oh, do you know what? I'm really rubbish at listening to music. I feel like I don't do enough of it because does that
0: happen when you start making music and working with music? I think it is
1: a little bit of it. You kind of get musicked out in a way. Like if you spend your whole day doing music searches and or writing music, Mm -hmm. then like I suppose my obsession doesn't kind of delve quite so far as to just spend your whole, sometimes you just want to listen to a podcast or oh, some speaking, if you know what I mean. Yep, yep. Um, but I'd probably say I sway towards the sort of, like, Chelsea Wolves of the world and things like mm. that, sort of And what about angsty. when you
0: when you were younger? Was that kind of that was the kind of stuff that you were listening um, to then?
1: God, I listened to some really weird stuff. I was quite into metal, so I listened to, like, Dima Borger and... Like, (laughs) Slayer and God knows what. Um, But then also a mix of, yeah, exactly. Um, Also really liked kind of like Sinead O'Connor and, you know, Sheryl Crow and all that sort of kind of singer songwritery stuff. But mixed with metal and folk. yeah, And everything in
0: between. (laughs) Exactly. Do you think that's that fairly eclectic grounding from the beginning, from just, you know, from a fan perspective, you'd... it, i don't know whether you would agree with this, but from when we were younger, mm. and I think we we're in and around the same sort of age bracket yeah that music was very tribal you you found your tribe you, much you, you so. were into this, you were into this, you were into that that doesn't really work in the same way anymore because of streaming because yeah. of you know everyone's got access to everything And
1: just so much content being released you You know, back in the day, you'd listen to the same album over and over again. You'd get mixtapes, literally mixtapes being sent over. And, you know, you just, you'd listen to that for a year. So, whereas now you hear, like, there's so much being put out and, you know, available Mm -hmm. that you kind of just, you don't tribe up as much, do you, in the same way, I think. You're totally right.
0: But do you think that that early fact that you weren't in those kind of really specific tribes, you did listen to a little bit of everything, has has helped you now as a composer?
1: Possibly, I mean, I suppose you've got, I mean, there were definitely tribes out there. It's just much less, much fewer people to actually form those tribes with because obviously there's lots of like immigrant people from all over the world and we're all just, you know, maybe the small section of people that spoke English. So mm-hmm. in a way, I suppose I was exposed to like amazing, like Bollywood music and all sorts of, like the call to prayer every morning, uh, like it's hugely affected the way that I like microtones and things like that. Okay. I know there's like, you know, it just had such a rolling sort of um, flow of people in and out of the country all the time.
0: So your influences are just like. Where, where <laughs> in the Middle East was it?
1: I was in Abu Dhabi.
0: Okay. Yeah. And that was because of?
1: Um, my family moved out there. Uh, my parents met out there. Okay. Um, and they own gift shops. <laughs> okay. <laughs> not oil, <laughs> believe it or not. It's <laughs> not, probably the only person ever. that's are still out there, actually. But um, Okay. Yeah. It's so a bit it of quite
0: quite an experience, I yeah. guess, growing well, up in that sort of environment?
1: People always sort of ask that. but or is it just
0: normal for you? Well,
1: I don't know any different. Yeah, <laughs> Do you know what so. I mean? So yeah. Uh, yeah, I was born there and stayed till I was 18 and then moved to Australia. So yeah, I only actually moved to the UK when I was 23.
0: you know what production music was when you went in for that interview at the Wolf? Absolutely
1: no idea. I mean, <laughs> I mean, I had done a little bit of reading. My uh, my uncle actually um, is a uh, organ player and keyboard player um, for Procol Haram, one of them? Obviously not the original one, um, but uh, and he also wrote the Strictly Come Dancing theme tune, so nice. he's kind of it's a claim to fame. Um, he I sort of Incredible. advised me <laughs> when I came over, um, and I was sort of like, shit like, what can I do, kind of thing. And yeah. he was, he's like, well, how about sync? Like, it's a, probably one of the only areas of the industry that really kind of makes money for composers, in my opinion, these days. In a way, I mean, that's a bit of a broad statement, but for small bands and things, mm-hmm. it's a nice chunk.
0: What's your experience of that, then, where, from, from that angle? Because uh, I think mm. we're now at a time when sync isn't the that best kept secret uh, no anymore. definitely not there's I've spoken to a number of supervision companies who I've known for 15 17 years in the kind of the time frame that I've been in in, in and around that part of the business and there's yeah. double triple the amount of companies people that are doing it totally. now do you think it is still that uh, area of opportunity
1: I suppose in comparison for a small group like say of group Snow ghosts if we were you know if we were to do what we did now in in the 80s then we would probably be able to start working other jobs if you know what I mean and I think that as far as record sales and things like that go and the numbers and like streaming numbers and stuff like that but as far as earning in my experience in these sort of times I haven't we've only really kind of profited from sync if you know what I mean okay so I'm not sure do you p- play live uh, we have done we've toured and toured around Europe and stuff but yeah. it's you just for I suppose for, particularly for the type of music that we do it's not it's quite odd mm-hmm. <laughs> if you know what I mean so I think it's a uh, it's more syncable than listenable <laughs>
0: <laughs> if that makes any so, sense no that's one way of putting it I guess it's quite okay. it's, it's
1: not you've got to. I can't imagine the sort of people, like, I've met the sort of people that came to our gigs, but it's not probably for the
0: masses. So do you think long term that's kind of where the focus would be for your group? Um, Then again, it's like everybody looks at their creative output in different ways. Um, I've literally done a class on sync with my students this week. Referring to everything as secondary exploitation, it's the other things that you can do with music yeah. that's not perform it live or that's not sell a CD. But do you think you maybe you look at, at your that creative output as actually the primary opportunities?
1: Well, I think maybe it's just the way that things have sort of fallen. But I really enjoy writing. Um, like, I suppose I've always written. Hang on, I'm going all over the place. Um When I write music, I start off generally, I get a sort of picture in my head, and i can 't really paint very well or draw, so I kind of describe it backwards with lyrics and okay. melodies. So I always kind of work backwards, if okay. you know what I mean, so I suppose it 's really interesting for me to kind of do the reverse with an image, and I think music and and visuals are so intrinsically linked mm-hmm. that I suppose i 'd not I kind of really enjoy that side of it. Yeah. Um. So, and maybe don't enjoy the live performance quite as much. Yeah. yeah. So maybe I'm maybe I'm just talking myself out of doing it.
0: <laughs> no, but I guess there's there's the standard way that music is create you know, the purpose that music is created for. Mm. But that doesn't mean that it's the only way. It doesn't no. mean that it's it's going to continue to be the standard way that music is engaged with and the purpose of music as well no, so exactly. it's, it's interesting someone who kind of has straddles m- multiple areas kind of <laughs> there's the creative i want to make music because i want to make this music mm. there's someone who understands and really likes music for media and for visuals and for TV and film and things like that, and then there's someone who's actually worked on the kind of the behind <laughs> the scenes angle and understands the the benefits and the issues and the the difficulties and the opportunities that there is. You kind of got all of that stuff going on.
1: That makes me sound like I know what I'm doing. Yeah, sure.
0: We all know what we're doing. We're all
1: just bumbling along. Um, no, I find it fascinating, particularly even like with um, writing for different purposes. So. I definitely have a side of me that is that kind of, um, I need to get this out to stay sane side. And a lot of music I've written that will never see the light of day, just because it's just got to be said, okay. if you know what I mean? Or written down, mm-hmm. um, like tracks about your dad or things like that, that you're kind of like, it's far too close to my heart for public consumption. And then I sort of write, well, I suppose my favorite thing to do is work collaborating with the guys in Snow Ghosts and, and my band, mazakichi back in the day. Mm-hmm. Um, because you really bounce off other people and you bring your own sort of little element to that group, if you know what I mean. Yep. And then a completely other side of the music industry, I suppose also with Snow Ghost, it's kind of the genre of music that I'm most kind of attached to. But then writing production music is a completely different world because you get to kind of assume a personality that you would never normally do. like. I don't, I would probably not write Tropical Pop or you know. But you like having the opportunity it's lovely to do so. to put that hat on for a bit and just be like right I'm going to write the most you know summer banger possible which is definitely not my normal remit if you know what I mean.
0: Do you think I want, I want to get into your writing and performing and the kind of creative outputs. Do you think um, the opportunity to write outside of your comfort zone potentially expands your comfort zone, I guess you know you you said that you yeah. your creative output, your band mm. has a certain sound and therefore you 're not suddenly going to drop a an absolute banger on the next <laughs> snow ghost album or whatever be But be some pretty dark bangers
1: right? <laughs>
0: <laughs> but does, but is there something in the back of your head that maybe thinks well if I get good at this, and if I really like this, then there's an opportunity for writing commercially in this space for other artists and in other areas. Is oh, that right, kind possibly. of possibly? Maybe. Yeah, I mean, it's
1: something very much of interest to me. It's it's just getting to explore and really listen to, I suppose, the kind of um, the references that you're given, and like suddenly listen to music in a. You asked me earlier if I um, if I like who I like to listen to. Mm-hmm but you suddenly are kind of forced to listen to artists that you probably wouldn't stumble across in your usual life and listen to the actual like rhythmical patterns and what's, what's making that genre of music that genre of music, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And even like melodically, how can you sort of do something that in, is in the same style, which again, is quite a contentious issue for most people, I suppose, with
0: production music. But. It's an interesting one because production music as a whole has evolved quite a lot quite quickly Usually so. you know, production music <laughs> used to be lift music it used to be sit at a midi yeah. keyboard and use fake sounds well, and I it used to be kind of cheap and before like that, that. It
1: even it was more um scored music for talking pictures wasn't it i mm. suppose so orchestral um but yeah, it did get this horrible Muzak reputation in between where...
0: Well, it was that like, if you can't afford the real thing, you go cheap to version. the cheaper alternative. Whereas
1: I think that whole sync sort of, as we were saying earlier, sync becoming a bigger thing has attracted, um, I suppose, more talented composers into those sort of production music realms, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean.
0: I'm interested from from your side to find out a bit more about the bands. So you've mentioned Snow Ghosts. Yeah. You've mentioned, uh, and I'm probably going to butcher it, Masakichi. Yeah, no, that's not. Um Can you give me a bit of kind of information from from the the artist herself, who those <laughs> groups are, uh, whether or not one that's maybe on the back burner at the moment might be coming back? You know, you, there's there's a few things. Lots Going of
1: on. Going on, yes. <laughs> um, so, Mazakichi, uh, I started with uh, Ruben Goto, who uh, is a guitar tech for, or was guitar tech for Foles and Maccabees, um, and we sort of got, um, a friend of ours put us in touch mm-hmm. um, to, uh, he wanted to do this sort of like, kind of post-rocky, shoegazy sort of um, guitar project, which is great fun, because it means I get to use... That little baby over there, the mating, yes. <laughs> the weirdest guitar in the world, but it's so good. Um, so yeah, so we started that um, a few years ago, and it's kind of it has had to go on the back boiler a little bit because um, there's been a lot of changes in the lineup, and um, he's recently had a baby actually, but yeah, um, we I have a, a whole album actually written uh, demoed, but we just need to re-record, so okay. that's hopefully in the pipeline of the next
0: year or so so it's nice that whether or not you're doing something it's not it's not like Masakichi is not a thing anymore it's definitely it's a whenever you're ready whenever you're available exactly you can can start those things back up again
1: and it's nice to have I don't know to have projects like that that sort of overlap so you're not just completely you know you've got to have a finger in every pie sort of thing Uh, uh, Um,
0: we talked a bit about Releasing records and the live side of things is a project like that. Is that definitely just kind of is it a studio creative? We want to we want to create something together and, and make it available. Yeah. Or is it a bit more? Is it broader? Is it bigger than that for you?
1: I mean, we did do quite a lot of live shows actually with Mazakichi, because I suppose the music is more than snow Ghost, kind of better live if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It's a it's a bigger sort of sound and show and. Um, less kind of I suppose written for sync if that makes mm-hmm. sense not that we write for sync but it's a uh, yeah I don't know I'm hoping we do a bit more live stuff with because okay. it's
0: really enjoyable um, but yeah and any solo stuff do you, um, that you do from, a, from that side of things or is the stuff that you're doing on your own more in the media area yeah
1: I suppose um, actually a lot of my stuff I've got a lot of projects that I'm about to start. Nice. (laughs) So I've been writing loads and they're all kind of in like little sort of, I don't know what I call boxes of where I kind of compartmentalize the projects, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. Um, So I've got a really cool just like kind of minimal guitar thing that I would like to do. Um, Plus, um, we've got a slightly more sort of folky, um, compositional duo thing that we've got in the pipeline. Um, called a grandma death <laughs> nice. <laughs> which i'm going to coin now just in case anyone nicks it in the meantime um yeah i mean i've done um when i first started doing music over here i did, had a project called augustus ghost which yep. was just my sort of solo uh project um and then i built off a band around it and then as augustus ghost i've written with um artists like tut tut child and fella and um, sort of um more of the sort of electronic kind of plus vocal sort of setup mm-hmm. if that makes sense which is also really enjoyable because again it's a a completely
0: different yeah, yeah. you just doing genre. stuff because you want to and yeah. see where it goes and
1: collaborating with people you know like tut tut charles sort of like quite heavy dubstep <laughs> it's like yeah. wow this is a new realm but yeah
0: so what's, from a, from a writing perspective, what's the processes that you go through? You've kind of touched on a little, yeah. few of those areas. You like to start with the lyrics and start with a, there's a kind of a picture in your head and then you, and then it morphs into something, or do you just, do you just sit down and see what happens? Have you got kind of...
1: It depends on the plan. type of project, yep. but I would say I'm constantly sort of... Um, my phone is absolutely full of audio notes okay. <laughs> and lyric notes. So if I get an idea in my head, I just sort of dictaphone it and then you, you can go back to it and work through it when you're actually sitting down at a project. Um, alternately, when writing to something that's already produced, I quite often like to like listen to the, the track and wait for the picture to appear and then describe it. And lyrics and melody would come at the same time then, mm-hmm. if that makes sense.
0: Writing to brief. Mm. Did that come easily?
1: Uh, not initially. I think you get much better at it with time.
0: Is it it's... definitely a, you need to practice and you need to
1: Yeah, particularly if it's understand. like I have quite a particular style of singing and a voice that I can't really make sound very different, if you know what I mean. I'm, I'm not that great at mimicking people. So I think that was the hardest part, is sort of kind of really focusing on what, as I said earlier, what makes that genre that genre and that style of singing and which notes you're picking and the rhythm and you know whether you're singing on the back or the front of the beat or so i thought that was probably the hardest bit not to just make everything sound like gothic
0: folk (laughs) and what what other things did you have to kind of gradually learn when it came to the the writing music being creative but to to kind of strict parameters be that briefs be that, timelines, you know, having very strict deadlines to meet and things like that, which you don't really have if you're just being creative and creative. I think it's
1: helpful to get, I mean, so much of it depends on the brief and within like sync or within composition, sometimes you, you know, the less, I suppose, you have your hands tied for composition, that can be really helpful and you Mm -hmm. can be a bit more creative. But then when it comes to sync, if people describe (laughs) with, uh, as badly as they quite often do, it just makes the task at hand even harder, if you know what I mean.
0: Brief of the day.
1: Oh my god, yeah.
0: (laughs) I did enjoy the (laughs) lambs dying
1: one. Oh god, there's been some brilliant ones. I Need Music to Kill Cows too, that was one of my
0: favourites. Okay. Uh, Is that because the visuals, that was the visual (laughs) or...?
1: I just like the animal death ones, you know, (laughs) much easier to deal with. They are, by the way, all completely copy and pasted. Real. I have never yeah. I can imagine. Well,
0: I think the best one I ever had, I can't remember when it was. It might have even been kind of the last wave before I. So, I the first job I had was in a really tiny publishing company and label up in Cambridge, right? And that's where I cut my teeth in sync. So this is what two thousand and. One, two thousand and two, two thousand and three—that sort of area. So we had a a catalogue of about two hundred songs, and the guys who ran the label just went, "Yeah, we'll just get a sync," as if it was just like you just pull one out your ass, (laughs) easy,
1: and
0: and off you go. But it did mean that I got to start reaching out to people, and when you've got Mm. a ridiculous surname like Champion, people tend to remember who you are. Really, you're not the only Danny Champion I know. That is weird. <laughs> I mean there's quite a few champions, but that one yeah, in particular, yeah. as long as they don't work in sync, I'm all enough. Oh, <laughs> but somebody got somebody sent through a brief and said, uh, we're looking for a piece of music, da 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 da. It's gotta be more blue than green. Right. And you go, Bleh. Okay. What what do you mean? Are yeah. you talking literally? <laughs> Do you have synesthesia exactly. or am I meant to interpret what your interpretation of the colours mean? Are we talking yeah. more sombre than natural? What What do you, exactly. and so you have to just kind of hope for the best and play around with
1: it. This is where I'm hoping to eradicate the term upbeat as a descriptive
0: right. from uh, yes. any music brief ever. We've had this conversation. <laughs> what should we use instead of upbeat?
1: Well, th- brief on the tempo and the mood, but upbeat to me, is that faster or is that happier? Or is it both? Yes. I don't know. I don't know. This is just one of my bugbears in the past 12 years of of music briefs.
0: (laughs) But I think that's, I I talk to a lot of composers about this, is that when you're talking, when when you're asking someone non-musical to describe music, it can actually get quite hard.
1: It's incredibly hard. And
0: especially when you've got people who are very visual being asked to talk about music that is inherently not
1: totally and i mean that's that's basically the job of music supervisor and composer though isn't Mm -hmm. it to to translate between the two and it is virtually impossible particularly if you're someone that isn't into music if you know what i mean it's like oh i'll know it when i hear
0: it you're like that old chestnut yeah
1: (laughs) sorry it's a podcast i just shot myself
0: in the head (laughs) (laughs) no no I, i i know that that one well oh yeah yeah just just send it through we'll know it when we hear it yeah yeah right okay you you know that Spotify exists and that's got all music ever so just start but
1: that's a that's a hard bit isn't it knowing where to start because there's so much so much content it's just I can see even I can see why it's difficult Mm -hmm. to be honest
0: you've worked in production music you've written for production music purposes have you created albums worth of material from a production music perspective rather than the kind of the bespoke Um, compositions side of things
1: yes i did actually um i produced um a couple of albums for extreme actually um sort of along the lines of the sort of chelsea wolves um zola jesus sort Mm -hmm. of idea um with a kind of collective of writers that i know um, and we sort of all worked together um, to do it and it was a really fun experience actually although I just basically spent my entire living hours doing it because it wasn't paid it was on top of my job so yeah once it was finally delivered it was a So relief. it was very much the,
0: <laughs> you had the day job and then you were sitting in went
1: home did the writing and curating and delivery and yeah I and at
0: the moment that's just that's just an album that is in Extremes yeah, catalog. A, it was will split over two. Actually, money at some point, or has or yeah. is making money gradually, and will continue to make money.
1: Exactly. And I only got the like, I didn't, I wasn't kind of paid for curating the album. I, uh, I just did it as a kind of fun project to get people I know who are really great writers, um, some opportunities, really, because mm-hmm. I think it is quite a cliquey world, um, composition, if you know what I mean. Can be particularly with production I think music. It
0: is more so now. I think yeah. it's not just that we're looking for this song.
1: Because more people want to do it. You know?
0: So we're looking for people to write with our artists. Or exactly. Well, what would you say is the biggest difference, mechanically speaking, between writing production-style music, music for film and TV, mm. than writing not for it, I guess? Yeah. One of the things that a lot of emerging songwriters, they they struggle with that... M- I guess, differentiating between getting their creativity out, you Mm. know, the art of writing music and the commerce side of writing music, I guess. Totally.
1: I think probably the easiest demonstration of that is lyrical content. Because if you're thinking, I mean, this is just as a a songwriter, I suppose, but if if you're pouring your heart out in your personal songs, then you kind of want to limit the amount of that, in in uh, I suppose production music. Mm-hmm. But not just limit, but you've got to think, what are people wanting to sync, What what kind of lyrics are going to be useful? And what scenes are you going to have a song that's a big epic pop song? What's you know, what scenes are you going to have some weird dark gothic vampire esque track? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and have the lyrics relevant to what the likely visuals will be, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. So I suppose it's rather than working like from a picture backwards, as I do with other things, it's more a case of a more conscious effort of kind of not writing the cheese lyrics, but writing the ones that are kind of quite bland.
0: Or well, I was, I'm, I'm, I was curious, have you got songs that have got multiple versions of lyrics? No. Then Have you ever thought in those terms, no. does anybody ever do that? So you've got the, you know, the, the sound idea. of it, Should and you pitch
1: this, you? <laughs>
0: <laughs> Feel free to take it on board. But that idea of okay, you've got this song, and you're trying to figure out mm. what lyrics are. Well, what's stopping you from writing like four different four different versions? Versions time, of, mostly I suspect, so. yeah. <laughs> um,
1: and also whether that would be useful. I don't know, but that's a really good idea. You should you should, uh, coin that.
0: I'm going to patent it. Exactly. That's, got, that's my, my production music library when I set it up. <laughs> oh, no, I'm, just, yeah, I'm interested yeah. to, to kind of find out that stuff. Would, have you ever yeah. struggled kind of thinking, oh, I don't want to do this because this kind of cheapens the mm. art of, uh, of writing music? Or do you understand that it doesn't because the art of writing music from your perspective isn't changing at all no. just because you're writing something that's a little bit... Yeah, I mean, I... Blander.
1: Yeah, I don't know if bland was the right choice of word for me, actually, but I, I suppose it is it's a more... Good, I think it's a good, yeah.
0: good word, because it's not inherently a bad or a good word. It's yeah. just, it, it is what it is. it. It's its, it's got to
1: be a bit more generic, maybe, yeah. is the where I'm struggling to find words today. Um, I, I don't know. I really, I hope it doesn't, people don't see it as cheapening. Um, I think that... As we were saying earlier, like, the, the standard of production music is shot through the roof. And, yeah. No, I think it's... I don't think it does. I think it's a more kind of considered way of writing with less an emotional pour-out, but kind of mm-hmm. more to brief. You've just got to think about, this is what needs done, so what needs doing, and follow the instructions, almost, if that makes sense.
0: How, how long does a song take to write a production music... Oh, it's a piece
1: of string. <laughs> um, it totally depends on the genre of music for me. Um, the same with um, with any sort of music, I suppose. Um, yeah, if it's one I'm familiar with, like um, the the album that I produced, we did a sort of um, quite gothy, sort of heavy track, and the producer and myself wrote it in twenty four hours between us and like pass it yeah. back and he produced it again and I was like bah, that's pretty quick. Um, other than that, I would say if I'm writing something to brief, it'll take me a day or two to kind of write it while I'm just walking around and listening to things and kind of getting a melody and a content, mm-hmm. I suppose getting the content and the lyrical content. Um, and then the actual recording of it and producing it. So I produce the vocals myself and then right. this is if I'm working on a production music track. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so probably a few days. I've got two due this week actually, and I'm starting to panic.
0: I <laughs> know, oh, it's, it's just, it's. I often, well, production music kind of requires mm. um, some form of prolificness, I guess. It's about yeah. being able to create album and after album after album after album, not necessarily one album every two to three years that you probably would do from a creative perspective and that's yeah. that's also a, a another way of looking at it well, i
1: suppose it. unlike like snow ghosts you know you'll have like the last album we did that you sit down and you have a kind of concept and it all kind of you know it's a slow process um kind of figuring that out between you and deciding what you want to create whereas you've got the instructions for a production music track, haven't you? you've got like this is Make it so. Do this, do this, do that. <laughs> In some ways, it's a kind of, it's a much less hard work.
0: Talk to me about snow ghosts.
1: Speak to me as snow ghosts. Yes, please do. Um, so, Ross and I, I used to work with Ross actually at DeWolf mm-hmm. years ago um, and he's, uh, he writes under the Name Throwing Snow. I don't know if you've heard any of his stuff. I
0: have. But
1: um, so we, um, he then formed, started doing some music together and formed Snow Ghosts with the very, very imaginative way of forming a name by smashing half of his performing name into my other half performing name. Um, it works. Yeah, it was great. We just used to, it was like, I used to pop around there after work and like, it's the first time I'd sort of worked with a producer properly. I was much more sort of singer songwritery y guitar piano person mm-hmm. um, and I remember going around there and like singing my songs for him, recording them and then leaving and I'd come back and he's chopped the hell out of it and done all these weird pitch things and I'm just like what have you done? You've taken the best, the worst bits and just exaggerated them all the way through the track <laughs> but um, I have slowly come round to his okay. way of working yeah. <laughs> so then um, yeah, so then we started Snow Goes and we signed to um, Houndstooth Records. Mm-hmm. Um, Who are they
0: for the uninitiated, uh, so They are our
1: label, uh, owned by Fabric. Okay. Um, yes. Um, so that they've been fantastic. They are such an amazing bunch. That's
0: an album... Well, that no, sorry. That's a label that also work with Throwing Snow? Yes. So is that where the relationship has come from?
1: Yes. Uh, we actually... Was goes the first thing they signed? I can't remember. I think um, with okay. we were one of their first signings. Um, but yeah, so we, um, and then we, um, we brought in another member called Ollie Knowles um, for, uh, we'd been invited to play South by Southwest. Um, unfortunately, that was a bit of a disaster because we ended up getting deported. <laughs> As disasters
0: go, that's going to be kind yeah. of high so, up there, yeah.
1: And then we kind of felt so terrible because we'd made Ollie um, do all this rehearsing and everything that just never came to any fruition. Um, and he was really keen to join the band and start writing with us. So we recruited another member, which is great. Cool. Um, he's here this weekend, actually, to hopefully do a bit of Snow Ghost's nice. writing.
0: So that, is that really, really recent? That Ollie obviously came on board. The last album... Was released uh, this year?
1: No, I think South by Southwest was five years ago.
0: OK, yeah. so, yeah, so the latest album.
1: The latest album.
0: Come, came out this year?
1: Uh, yes, in May, I believe. And
0: so, and is, is that something that kind of you've got this, I guess, this, this cycle that you're working on for next, next ones and next ones and next ones? Or is it just kind yeah. of when you, when you find some time to, to fit it into the busy schedule...
1: Um, well, obviously, we all have quite a few different projects mm-hmm. on at the same time. Like, Ross has obviously got his Throwing Snow stuff, and I've been doing Maskeechie and a lot of solo stuff. And then Ollie's got a project called Keep, which he's also signed to Houndstooth as well. Um, so it's quite, we sort of just kind of coordinate for an lots album that's of creative sense. stuff There's going on. Lot. That's
0: quite cool. And we also worked
1: um, on this album uh, with Toby Young, who is a uh, lecturer. Um, and a fantastic composer and arranger. So mm-hmm. he uh, arranged all the strings for um, the live session we did, actually, A Quiet Ritual, which was just down the road in um, Real World Studios. Do you know in Box? Peter Gabriel's studio. OK. Yeah. Oh, that was amazing. Yeah. And we also collaborated with um, <coughs> a Carnix player. I don't know if you've ever heard of a... No. A Carnix. It's um, an Iron Age horn with a boar's head on the top of it that's six foot tall um yeah it's absolutely mad it can sound Oh, it's incredible um the wonderful john kenny um had one reconstructed um and he's one of i think there's only two people in the whole world that can play it awesome yeah so they don't know with like what they were originally used for whether they were like for ritualistic purposes or for, bit, um, for like kind of intimidation purposes in battle because they can sound like these enormous klaxons. Right. Oh, it's just a beautiful instrument. So we have um, a lot of that on the album as well because the most recent album is all about ritual and okay. grief and it seemed to fit the bill
0: quite well. Do you, is, is there ever kind of specific goals objectives and you know in the the wonderful world of 2019 music industry that could mean like analytics that you're trying to hit or is are you literally just making music for the love of making and releasing music
1: personally it's just the love of it and the kind of the need of it i suppose in some Mm. ways it's a it's bittersweet because you can't live with it and you can't live without it if that makes sense I'm really not motivated by money or analytics. Mm -hmm. Um, I probably should be and I'd probably be a lot better at my job if I if I was No, but this
0: is the point, is I think that it's I think as we've already we've kind of discussed a little bit, music is what it is to the person who's creating it. If you wanna if you wanna hit targets, if you wanna hit plays, streams, followers, that sort of stuff. Be Sheeran, I guess, or Drake, you know, write stuff that would do that. But, I mean, I was, you know, looking at that sort of things and there's, there theres is, you've got a high number of plays yes. on your stuff. You've got a good, solid number of monthly lists, you know, all that yeah, datery yeah. stuff.
1: I suppose that's the industry side of the music business, yeah. isn't it? Or the, of And the it's music. whether or not
0: that comes into the conversation at any given time or whether it's not really and it's just this kind of wonderful... Byproduct of you being able to make the albums that you want to make with the people you want to make them. I suppose
1: a lot of that is more down to the label and publisher Mm -hmm. because that's the wonderful thing about, you know, being able to or signing to people is that you can not focus on that side of the industry and just go, right, I want to do something purely creative and just as a release, if that makes sense. Particularly like the last album um, was, I had quite a few. I had a good friend pass away and a few, um, f- attended a few funerals and it just shocked me at how terrible people are at actually grieving, mm-hmm. if you know what I mean. It's, and that's kind of, I suppose, where a lot of the inspiration for this came from and just, but to have the space to be able to kind of focus on that without having to worry about making money off the album. Do you know what I mean? Otherwise, it feels yeah. like it just trivializes the entire concept. If that, if you've got to worry about, you know, feeding yourself and paying the bills,
0: but that's also where finding a label and a publisher that enables you to do that exactly kind of just makes that. Makes that's all what the you difference. want. Yeah. <laughs> I wanted to finish off with talking a bit about your time at Extreme, so the specifics of the the business side sure. of things. Um, what was the day-to-day job at um, Extreme Music?
1: So I, I mean, I've done quite a few different things since being mm. there, but um, I was in music supervision and um, marketing, I suppose. So you're kind of um, you want to make sure that people come to you for music, <laughs> or you go to mm-hmm. them if that makes sense yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I, guess I have a lot of incoming crazy briefs coming in, make up playlists of tracks and suggestions for them mm-hmm. um, and then obviously outgoing as well you're, you know you're wanting to find new business and make sure that you're you know I suppose um, making the most of the catalog that you actually have. Um, I worked a lot on the TV side of things so right. um, I worked a lot with the BBC and ITV and places like that, but um, I started to get to a point where it's a lot more marketing and less music supervision and I'm quite a creative person and I think I've managed to kind of pretend in the industry <laughs> that that's where I fit,
0: but... Well, it's, it's always an interesting one to me for someone who's never worked for a production music house but has mm. worked a lot with yeah. production music i work for a commercial music publisher and then as a music supervisor so i commercial music publishing is different to production music because you're not really directly competing with other publishers in kind of the same way you know if you if you represent david bowie's catalogue you're the only one who represents David Bowie's catalogue whereas production music you're kind of you are directly competing with the the other 180-odd catalogues. Now, you're not necessarily creating exactly the same music, but there's no names to a point attached to the songs. It is just, you've got songs of of certain genres, and other people have got songs of certain genres. So, how do you get people... How do you go about marketing that? How do you get people to use... Your catalogue instead of somebody else's catalogue. <laughs> Do you mean me personally
1: world? or everybody else? <laughs> I think most of the time I've just got a people Colin drunk. B. To be honest,
0: no, <laughs> then get you them drunk and make them. <laughs> get them and give drunk
1: you and make them. Yeah, exactly. No, that sounds terrible. But I think a lot of the industry is actually based on that social side mm-hmm. of you know making friends. And I suppose that's the way I've seen it because I hate the idea of like selling things or anything like that. I suppose I've just over the years got to know some amazing people and had the pleasure of working with them. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of the, the most enjoyable part, I suppose, of the industry, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> So it was something that you definitely saw evolve, get easier the longer you were doing
1: it. Very much so, because I think, it, you know, in the end it's, it's who you know. And when people, you know, think you're an okay person and mm-hmm. you're you know, good at your music supervision side of things, then, you know, word of mouth, you know, new travels.
0: What's the pressure like in that sort of company? So Extreme Music, big production music company, part of Sony ATV, yeah. so one of the major music publishing companies, production music house. Mm. There's lots of competition, increasing numbers of competition. There's lots of opportunities out there. You're, you're in a kind of a very much a selling role. And yeah. sales in general is quite a high pressure area of any business so was there a bit of pressure on that team that sort of area of the business very
1: much so i think you know there's a lot of other production music libraries currently kind of changing their approach to marketing and how to get a larger market share and it's just maybe it's just in my own head but i i think the the kind of method of working is becoming far more kind of like you've got your sales side versus your music supervision side and like the whole time I've done it, you've done a little bit of both and it's been more of a personality connection sort of thing. Whereas now it's very much more like you've got people on phone calls, sorry, on calls making, you know, really pushing catalogue. And then the music supervisor are a completely separate thing. Okay.
0: What happened when Sony bought EMI? Um, Did that impact you lot at all? Because obviously there's Obviously you've got
1: two, um, so EMI production music. You've got two companies basically doing the same sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so far, um, as of now, we both coexist, and they moved into our offices in um, Golden Square, and we moved
0: out. Yeah. So, so it was it was very much because I, I was often wondering that is that yeah. does that just get all squidged together?
1: I wonder. I'm not sure if that's um, currently being looked at. I don't know.
0: I think if it hadn't if it didn't happen then, I would have thought again because of this idea of of the uh the brand names i think they're very different styles of branding that that, that two companies have used and it's you mentioned it's it's the people more than the branding do you think do you think people came to you instead (laughs) so it doesn't really matter if it's extreme or if it's EMI or if it's BMG or whatever, but actually you go to the person before you go to the...
1: That makes me sound really egotistical.
0: <laughs> but, no, um, but in, a, in anything that's relationship-based... I
1: totally think... I think it is, definitely, but I think, I mean, Extreme do have a fantastic catalogue and they mm-hmm. have some really, really strong composers. Um, do I think... No. I, I think it's it's important to have those relationships and to be able to work with people within the industry. Mm -hmm. It makes life enjoyable, doesn't it? It's like, to me, if you're gonna be in that sort of marketing-y kind of world, then you you still wanna have those human relationships and contacts, and that's a bit more inspiring when it comes to creating anything.
0: Mm -hmm. What were some of the really interesting jobs that you worked on?
1: (laughs) Um, I did a bit of uh, work for extreme sister company uh bleeding fingers music which is co-owned with hans zimmer Mm -hmm. and um sort of connected them up for some projects um out at bbc bristol so uh, planet earth 2 and blue planet 2 and put them in touch with that so i mean that was quite fun Um, how does
0: that project manifest how how did you do that as an example was that was it as easy as just picking up the phone to someone and saying hey you should listen to this or was there a little bit more to it? Than
1: exactly. That? Actually, this is probably proving your point that it is people rather than smash sales because, well done. <laughs> <laughs> you just did an air grab, can I just say, for the podcast. And I can <laughs> cut that bit out. <laughs> Damn it. Um, <clears throat> yeah, this, I suppose, does kind of prove your point that I think a lot of it is connections and knowing people and building up that level of trust. Like, I'd worked um, with the BBC through Extreme for years and... Mm-hmm then was put in touch, um, just chatting to people and forming relationships um, and then managed to make those connections. You're just sort of helping people and connecting dots and making sure that, I suppose, people can work together.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I think if you were just smashing phone calls out all the time, they'd probably tell you to do one.
0: It's yes, softly, at softly, a Or you just become the... another phone call in a big list of phone calls that they're exactly. getting. And so you're not making the same impact.
1: And people don't, you know, this is a high, Creative level, these people want to. They're making fantastic content. They want to work with people that they trust, mm-hmm. and that they're finding that their motivations of wanting to work with them are creatively based, not necessarily financially based. Mm-hmm. In my opinion. Oh
0: yeah, yeah, definitely. Especially, especially, especially TV. music and I was, TV. Yeah. I was say that, TV in the UK is not financially motivated because of blanket licensing and things like. That. It's very yeah. much. It's got to be either. Well, it's financially motivated on the other side because they've got zero budget or the budget has already been sorted by the blanket. But it's got to be creative,
1: exactly. I
0: think. Who, who are you dealing with? From a TV perspective, are you dealing with production teams? Are you dealing with editors?
1: I suppose it depends on whether you're working more for the actual library side and the, or connecting people for composition. Mm-hmm. For the library side, for television, quite often you're working with editors. They're the people, like, I think they're the unsung heroes of TV, actually, because they do so much music, um, well, they have so much more creative input into into TV production than I think they're ever given credit for.
0: Yep. What stuff is in store in 2020 that you're in a position that you can...
1: Well, um, both Ross and I signed um, as composers to Manus McDade um, a couple of months back. Cool. And so that's something hopefully, um, personally, I'm looking to do. Yes, Harriet. Harriet Moss. Um, I'm hoping to do a bit more composition and production side of things,
0: which would be really exciting. Um, As in, like film scores and things like that? Potentially. Cool.
1: Um, I think. Um, would be really great. They're such a fantastic team there, so I'm really looking forward to working with them and expanding that sort of side of things. Um, Obviously um, Ross aka Throwing Snow has done a lot more production um, and bespoke composition because Mm -hmm. um, he is a producer (laughs) and full-time even. Um, So yeah, I'm really excited about that. A couple of other projects, like personal music projects that I want to get cracking on. Um, and having uh, left Extreme, uh, I now have a lot more time not to more time do that. A lot more time on your <laughs> hands to focus on some of that stuff. I'm yeah. also ridiculously into, like, fermenting and brewing beer and things like that. So I'm as you do planning on pursuing some of those a bit more, which will be exciting. So not just musical projects.
0: If you're in that world, can I request a non-alcoholic one that I can try?
1: Oh, that's all the fun bit.
0: Afraid, yes, but I... I, I Dropped the alcohol out of my diet about a year and uh, a half ago now.
1: How about yeah. kombucha? I've made some kombucha, but that's very low. It's
0: like one yeah, or two uh, percent. 5 yeah, 0.5. It's probably about as far as I go. Okay. Because well, I'm just, I'm no, this is a weird thing to have at the end of the podcast. <laughs> um, no, there's, there's many, many more places. I'm get, becoming a little bit of a connoisseur of, of non-alcoholic stuff and seeing yeah. the differences in, in how, how a lot of the kind of the smaller craft beer places are doing They are doing. doing There's a huge rise because it's becoming a big, a big area. Totally. Yeah.
1: I'm afraid most of the alcohol I've produced is crunk. (laughs) I've produced some dandelion wine that is like psychotropic. I think (laughs) it's bonkers. yeah no one we've only drunk two bottles and no one can remember drinking either of them so amazing that's some good that's good shit yeah it's dangerous I think it should be licensed (laughs) Moonshine. (laughs) sorry we've just moved completely off topic it's fine last question (laughs) yes
0: Um, for people for emerging songwriters who are in bands who like the idea of writing for other purposes specifically for media and tv um what advice would you give from someone who does it and also from someone who's worked with a lot of different people who do it oh
1: i'm not sure how difficult it would be these days to get into it um but i would say from the a and r perspective um definitely extreme doesn't like people that just write across the board genre wise they like kind of established artists that have a, a kind of particular style that they could then pitch for an album. Um, generally, if you go across the board and be like, hey, here's my epic industrial track and here's my folky, you know, clinky-plonky track, mm-hmm. and you send a whole range of stuff, you'll probably get overlooked, I imagine, mm-hmm. in composition.
0: Um, I, one of the things that comes up a lot is that idea of prolificness. You know, so if you are yes. someone who's interested in writing for media mm. do you really have to get better at writing consistently and not quickly but regularly i guess do you think is that something that songwriters need to do because again if you're in a band if you're if you're an artist, mm. you can you know you can get pour your heart and soul into those 12 mm. tracks and then those 12 tracks live and breathe for the next two years that's not
1: that's very true actually.
0: you don't go you don't go into Definitely, Media personally, I don't like,
1: I don't think I have the drive necessarily or the desire to write those sort of tracks all the time. You go, quite often go through sort of like three monthly cycles of mm-hmm. it and then it's, suddenly it's like, oh, I need to get this out. But then when you're working in writing production music or bespoke composition, you kind of have to force yourself to sit down and do it, which is probably... Yeah, probably the way forward, isn't it?
0: <laughs> yeah, and, just, and build up that catalogue, I guess. Exactly, like otherwise, having, you know... It, 20 tracks rather than having left to your own three.
1: devices, I suppose you just wouldn't, if mm-hmm. you know... Well, personally, I wouldn't, because I'd probably procrastinate and, you know... It's very not easy actually. Oh, my God, it's so easy. I'm terrible. My attention span is this.
0: Well, especially from someone who's learning or has been learning to work from home as well. Yeah. These past four years, apart from when I'm in a... Classroom or doing that sort of thing. I am in my office, yeah, on here. my own time, <laughs> and you tend to talking find to the dog, YouTube a lot.
1: <laughs> yeah, or suddenly <laughs> doing a load of washing. But it, also the alternative yes. happens, I suppose, because you're not distracted by other people. Quite often, you're just kind of panicking and glued to whatever you're doing, mm-hmm. and then feeling guilty about not doing enough. If you know what I mean, there's definitely. As someone who worked at home, you middle. know what it's like. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can always find something else to do. Slash, I can write another to-do list.
1: Yeah, exactly. But procrastination is like the mother of creativity in some ways. So as much as, you know, you feel guilty for doing that, where else do your ideas come from? Other True. than True. Them fiddling about with that tongue drum for five minutes just mm. to kind of distract yourself for a bit from what you work, the task at hand, if you know what I mean. Yeah, okay. Cool. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you, Danny. It's been lovely. Thank you for having me.
0: Massive thanks to Hannah for having me and giving me a couple of vats of tea for um, whilst we chatted about all things music and music industry and music for media. Um, As with last week's episode, all the links to the various bands and acts that she's in, like Masakichi, like Snow Ghosts, like Augustus Ghosts, and also um, Throwing Snow stuff can all be found in the episode description. You can get in touch with me via email on BehindTheBusinessPod at gmail.com. I I always like to hear from everybody. Thank you very much for everybody's continued support. Thank you very much for listening this year, 2019. Plenty more interesting and fun things to get my teeth into for 2020. So do come back in the new year and, and have a look at all that sort of stuff. If you are listening to these as they come out, there is one more to come out this year in 2019, which is next week, Christmas Eve. But until then, thank you very much indeed. And I'll speak to you again soon.